when I think of how he came so far from glory, came and dwelled among the lowly such as I, to suffer shame and such disgrace. On Mount Calvary, take my place. It's then I ask myself this question, who am I? Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray, not my To an old rugged cross he'd go for who am I? When I'm reminded of his words, I'll leave thee never. Trust in me, I'll give to you a life forever. I could have done to deserve God's only son to fight my battles till they're won. Who am I? Who am I that a king would plead and I may never know why he ever loved me so that to an old rugged cross he'd go for who am I that to an old rugged cross he'd go for who Brother Josh is going to head upstairs. He is uh, the uh, junior church teacher for the class, all the children that were there. He's up there teaching that class, and so he's going to head up and teach your children. And uh, he, he loves your kids, and uh, he and his workers do a fabulous job. And we appreciate you uh, trusting us with your children each and every week. And boy, the Lord has blessed, and we certainly thank him for that. Take your Bible, look over the book of Luke, and Luke chapter 2. You can see the lavalier mic is not working. We'll have to use this one, and we're going to get it. We have parts on order. Uh, boy, I don't know. These ordering parts these days at Christmas times rough with everybody shipping things all over the place, right? But we'll get it sooner or later, and in the meantime, we'll deal with it. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, a very familiar passage. The Bible tells us there in Luke chapter 2, and it came to pass in those days 
that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth under Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary as a spoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Well, what a tremendous account in the Bible. Literally, the Bible tells us that Emmanuel came to join us here on earth. And it defines Emmanuel in the Word of God as God with us. God himself left heaven and came to earth. And we have baby Jesus, who would ultimately grow up to be a man. A man that was sinless and perfect. And he would ultimately die on a cross called Calvary to pay for the sin of the world. We celebrate this particular event every year in America. We call it Christmas. It's kind of sad to think that the emphasis of Christmas is being changed somewhat, isn't it? It seems almost that people put more emphasis on things than they do Him, the Lord Jesus Christ at times. I'm glad today that you don't. I'm glad you're here today and you make him a priority. I'm glad you decide that this time of year is a time of year to remember what he did for you. That's good. And so we gather with the same heart and the same mind to elevate, to magnify, and to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. But here we have the birth of Jesus. And you know, it's interesting to note that when Jesus Christ came to earth, well, he was born to die. You say, what do you mean? What I mean is that when he came, he knew his end would be a cross. He knew that he would ultimately hang between heaven and earth. He knew that he would have the nails in his hands and his feet. He understood and was very clear that it would be him that hung on that cross. He knew that. And so for 33 years, he lived his life on earth knowing that he would die. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 10, as he speaks to his disciples, saying, he said, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, referring to himself, shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. Boy, Jesus knew already his fate. He knew before he ever went to Jerusalem how it would turn out. And we see Jesus Christ who was born to die. And I think to myself, if I knew when I was going to die, I wonder how it would affect my life. I wonder how it would affect my demeanor. I wonder how it would affect my attitude. Would I be depressed? Would I be overwhelmed with grief? How would I respond? I want to tell you that Jesus responded very well. How and why or how could he respond so well? Well, as we began last week, we talked about the answer is that he lived with purpose. He lived with passion and he lived with promise and he lived with power. And if we're going to have victory in our lives, if we're going to see the kind of victories that God intends for us, then we too must live a life with purpose. A life of passion and a life with promise and a life of power. 
And so we spoke last week on this issue of purpose, that Jesus lived a life of purpose, and that you and I ought to live with a purpose and on purpose. And we defined what that purpose was. We said that it was important that we understood that we're to glorify the Lord. We're to glorify God. That's why we were placed on earth, to glorify God, to ultimately reach the lost, to be an example to others of how God says we ought to live our lives and how we ought to be. And Well, I'll tell you what, it's important that we elevate Him, that we magnify Him. That's why we're really here. So we noted that He could face life every day, even though He was born to die, with hope, with joy, with peace, Because he lived on purpose and with purpose. But not only that, he lived, as we're going to talk about today, he lived with passion. Passion. I want to talk to you today for just a few minutes on this issue of passion, the Lord's passion. Him, how passionate he was, how full of love and how full of of grace he was. Because see, when it's all said and done, The Lord Jesus Christ lived his life. Although he knew that a cross was in his future, he loved so greatly that he was willing to face the music every day with the right spirit and the right attitude because he loved. He had compassion and he lived with passion. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that passion, a life of passion. And so let's have a word of prayer, and we'll talk about it for just a few moments. Father, we thank you for this time together. We ask that you'd bless us, work in our lives. Thank you for the youngsters that sang. What a great job they did. Lord, we're so thankful for the leadership that worked with them and prepared them and readied them. We thank you for their parents and their grandparents and other family members that have invested their life, their time, their energy into the lives of those children. Lord, how important that is. And Father, it makes such a difference. I'm so glad that so many parents have showed up today even to support and to encourage their children. It means a lot to us. Lord, for us that are gathered here today, we're so happy to see that, well, you're not being forgotten in the lives of our children today. And although the world may be going a different direction, there are still parents and grandparents and children that love you and want to see you elevated and magnified. Thank you for that. We ask, Lord, that you would just bless this message now. May we, Father, truly be able to receive and accept what you have for us. May you open our hearts and minds to the Lord's love, his grace, his mercy. Be glorified now in this service. Help us to learn how to live our lives to the fullest. We do that by living like you did, a life of purpose, a life of passion. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we see uh, uh, that, that passion, first of all, moved the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived a life of passion. That's how. That's one of the reasons why he could face the cross every day of his life, because he had so much passion, so much love for people. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, the Bible tells us, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. See, the passion, that passion moved him, but it moved him from heaven to earth. Jesus Christ was quite content in heaven. He was doing real well. 
but he had so much passion and so much love for you and I that he was willing to be moved from heaven to earth. He's willing to take his place among mankind. He's willing to be abused, mistreated, taken for granted by the very ones he created for you, for me. He was the creator of all the universe according to Colossians 1, 16 and 17, and yet he humbled himself and became all man. He was all man and all God at the same time. You say, explain that to me. I can't. The Bible calls it the mystery of godliness, that God became a man, and he did indeed become a man, and he lived his life on earth until finally he faced the reason he came, to die. Why was he willing to leave glory and come to earth? (laughs) The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. That literally he came to earth so that he could swap places with you, so that he could swap places with me, So he who owned the cattle on a thousand hills, the God of heaven who owns everything in the universe, who's rich indeed, came to earth and became poor so that I could become rich, so that you could become rich. You say, I like a little bit of those riches now. (laughs) Yeah, be kind of nice, but let me tell you, it doesn't always work that way, but I can promise you this. If you get on board with Jesus Christ, if you get right with God, if you live for Jesus, I promise you one day you'll ask and have need of nothing. You say, boy, right now it's tough. It can be tough living for the Lord in this world we live. But let me tell you what, we have a hope that goes far beyond the grave, my friend. We've got Jesus Christ, and we've got a home in heaven forever. And we have that because he loved us that much, that he was willing to be moved from heaven to earth. That passion not only moved him from heaven to earth, but it moved him from a manger to the cross itself. In John chapter 10, turn there, would you please? If you have a Bible, if not, that's fine. Just follow along. But John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. In John chapter 10, the Bible says in verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, Because I lay down my life that I might take it again. I like verse 18. John 10, verse 18. No man taketh it from me, speaking of his life, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Boy, the Lord Jesus Christ, he he lived a life of passion, yes, and that passion moved him. That passion moved him from a manger to the cross. That passion led him on a journey that took him to Calvary. And you know, the interesting thing is it wasn't necessarily just, it wasn't the Jews that put him on that cross then. It wasn't the Romans really that put him on that cross. I know they physically put him on the cross. I know the Jews cried out, crucify him, crucify him. But it wasn't them ultimately that placed him there. It wasn't ultimately the Roman soldiers that nailed his hands and feet to the cross. No, it was Jesus himself because nobody put him there. He put himself there. He laid his own life down. There isn't one soldier strong enough to pin his arm to that cross. 
There wasn't a group of soldiers big enough to take his feet and hold them down till the, the, the nail could be driven into his feet. There was nobody that could have dragged him up to Calvary, even itself. He could have called a thousand angels. But Jesus Christ loved you so much. He was moved so much by his great passion and love for you that it moved him from a manger to the cross. We see that passion moved him, but not only that, we note that passion motivated him. It motivated him. It's interesting that he exhibited a love for his followers. Peter's mother-in-law was sick. She had a fever, a temperature. And in Luke chapter 4, we read verse 38 and 39. It says that the Lord Jesus Christ, he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever. So we know that he was married then and his mother-in-law now has a great fever. And they besought him for her. Please heal her. Please touch her. She's in a bad way. And he stood over her and he rebuked the fever. And it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto him. Well, I mean to tell you, uh, she uh, was sick, and I mean the fever had her down, and she couldn't do anything, and the, her, her children and others were scared and afraid for her, and Jesus shows up, and they say, man, if anybody can do anything, it's got to be the Lord Jesus Christ. We probably, they probably, they either didn't have enough money to go to a doctor, or the doctor wasn't available, uh, and the doctor had no remedy even, and yet Jesus Christ shows up, and they knew that Jesus could do something. He had healed the lame, he had uh, healed the blind, he had done so many miracles he could certainly help Simon's wife's mother boy they called him in and sure enough the fever left her and she got up out of that old bed and she said well I feel like a million bucks I think I'm going to serve him now can I tell you that when Jesus heals your life he wants you to get on board with helping him and serving him now Boy, if he raised you out of the muck and the mire of this earth, if he took you from sin and he made you a saint of his, my friend, he doesn't want you laying on a bed. He doesn't want you sitting in a pew. He wants you serving him. He exhibited a love for his followers. You think about old Lazarus. We love the story of Lazarus, don't we? Hey, Jesus, Lazarus ain't feeling good. He's pretty bad shape. You better get here. He's sick as a dog. Jesus says, that's all right. We'll just tarry here a while. Word comes, sorry, you're too late. Lazarus is dead. The disciples are like, if only we'd have gone early, Jesus. If we'd have been there a little sooner, we could have saved him. Jesus says, ah, he's fine. Oh, you mean he's not dead? Oh, he's dead. But he's fine. Jesus shows up on the scene, and man, I mean to tell you, Mary and Martha gave him the same, gave him the same uh, uh, words. They're like, hey, Jesus, if only you'd have been here sooner. Jesus, if only you'd have been here before he died, you could have helped him. Jesus says, come on, ladies, don't you know who I am? He didn't say it quite like that. That's my version. And before it's over with, we know what happened, don't we? Roll away the stone. Move it aside. When the fellas all got in there and they put their back in it and they got that stone away from that sepulcher and next thing you know, Jesus stood there and said, Lazarus, rise. And he came forth. 
He's all bound with those grave clothes, you know. A lot like the clothes that bound Jesus when he was in the manger, remember? Those swaddling clothes, those claws, those long strips of cloth that had been wrapped around his body to hold those, those spices tight to the body to preserve the body here in this case. And they say, he said, hey, loose him and let him go. I can only imagine Lazarus that day being loosed and, and they're trying to unravel it or possibly they went and got a knife and started cutting it. But one way or another, it came a time when he got loosed, he was like, woo, woo, I'm alive. Can you imagine? Now, that would have been exciting, wouldn't it? <laughs> Old Lazarus, man, he's doing a little jig out there. And the people are like, man, he was dead. He's been dead for four days or more. I mean, look at him. He was stinking already. Remember, they said he was stinking. His body was already deteriorating. Yet here he is. I, I wonder, I, I'd like to see in his face and touch it and see if it was soft as a baby's body. I wonder how it felt. I wonder if it was just real rugged. I wonder if it was just soft now because he had been raised by the master. Not only did he exhibit a love for his followers, though. Here's where it gets tough, for us at least. He exhibited a love for his foes. His enemies. Now that's, that's, that's rough business, isn't it? I mean, to love your enemies? Well, the book of Matthew tells us, and the Lord Jesus is speaking again in chapter 5, verse 44, but I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, and do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You know, I have this sneaking suspicion that there's not a person in the room, including me, that, could say, that couldn't say, somebody has hurt me. I bet there's not one person in the room that couldn't admit, somebody hurt me. Or somebody's in opposition to me. Somebody's opposing me. Somebody doesn't want my best. They want my harm and hurt. I think everybody in the room could say that to some degree or another. At some point in their life at least. Well, that may seem like an impossible command to obey, but one thing we can say for sure is this. Jesus practiced what he preached. Someone says, well, yeah, it's easy for him. He was God, you know. Can I remind you he was all man too? Can I remind you he had flesh like you have? He had feelings like you have? He had hopes and dreams like you have in a sense. I knew that he was headed to Calvary, but you'd have thought that he'd have, thought that he'd have liked for the people that he created to be a little bit more appreciative of everything he's done for them. And although he was God, he was all man, yes, he felt every blow to his face and head. Every thorn that pierced his brow, every torturous lash of the whip that came upon his back, every strike of the hammer and every nail that was pierced in his hands and feet, he felt it all. And yet he hung on Calvary and he cried, Father, forgive them, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can you imagine that? I wonder 
If you or someone you loved was treated the way Jesus was, could you say, Father, forgive them? Well, that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ expects us to do. No, take that back. That's what he demands us to do and commands us to do. And someone says, yeah, that's not fair. If somebody hurts you like that, you need to get back at them. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. In the Old Testament, that's how they operated. But in the New Testament, we have a God that is a God of love and compassion like never before. Oh, I'm not saying he didn't love in the Old Testament, but love is his theme. That's what he's all about. And he loves us. He wants us to learn to love others the way he loves us. In Romans chapter 12, the Bible says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto the under wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Can I tell you, that goes against every fiber of my being. You come up here and punch me in the face, I want to smack you in the face too. You step on my hand in a football game and cleat me, I'm going to want to cleat you. You run me over. Aren't you glad Ohio State won yesterday? But anyway, when you, you run them over, you want to get up and run them over eventually. I mean to tell you, you know what I'm saying? That's our human nature. You hurt me, I hurt you. You push me, I push you. That's our nature before we're saved. Sadly enough, we carry around this old flesh that causes us to want to act and react that way anyway. But may I say that the Bible tells us we're a new creature, that the old man is dead and the new man is to be put on and we're to live through the new man, not the old man. And therefore, we need to learn to do things the way Jesus did. Didn't say it was easy. Can I tell you this, though? It's a lot easier than living with your hate. By the way, we were enemies of God at one point, remember? If you're a child of God today, that is. And if you're not, then you're still his enemy. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were his enemy at one point, but he was willing to forgive us. See, when he was on that cross, I know he chose to be on the cross but really, in reality, too, it was your sin and it was mine that placed him there. We have to take responsibility for what for our, our portion here. But thank God that he was willing to die in our steads. Thank God he loved us anyway. You know, the funny thing is, there's not one thing you can do to earn the love of God. Not one thing I can do to earn it. I don't deserve it and neither do you. He simply loves us because. Just because. So we note a couple of things. We've talked about it already, but we noted that that passion, that passion moved him. That passion motivated him. But you know what, finally? That passion made him. 
You say, what do you mean by made him? Well, it defined him as a person. See, it testified of his deity. Only God could love man like Jesus did. And look at the world we live in, right? Consider the atrocities of mankind. Think about how hurtful and hateful people can be. Who could love them? Who could love me? If you could get in my mind and you could know the things I've thought in my lifetime potentially, you'd say, man, you ain't worthy to preach. You ain't worthy to be a child of God. You should go to hell, preacher. And you know what? You'd be right. I'm nothing but a sinner. But thankfully, we have a God who loves unlike we love. I mean, see, that passion of his, that love that he had, it made him, it defined who he was, it testified of his deity. He loves unconditionally in every situation. Not that we don't have to pay consequences for our sin. Not that there aren't uh, uh, consequences for our actions. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about, though, he loves us anyway. And I promise you, he loves you. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, the prophet says concerning the Lord, the Lord speaking through the prophet now, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The context of that passage is Israel. And Israel had turned their back on God numerous times. And Israel had gotten so uh, deplorable and so wicked that they had even sacrificed their own children to idols. And God would rescue them and God would bring them back and God would receive them unto himself again. And then they would go for a while and they would run off into sin again. They'd run off into spiritual adultery. They'd run off and serve other gods over and over and over again. It happened. The Lord Jesus Christ, God in heaven, is speaking through the prophet now. And he's saying, listen, I want to receive Israel unto myself, and there's coming a day when I'm going to put all that sin behind them. I'm not going to remember it anymore. Why? For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Oh, you would just write them off. You would just say, forget it. After you've treated me that way, after you've lived like that, forget you. You get what you deserve, but not God. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Oh, we got a God, the Lord Jesus, whose passion made him. It defined who he is. He is not just one that loves us. He is love. It testifies of his disposition, not just his deity. I mean, he is love. In 1 John 4, 16, the Bible says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. See, love is who Christ is. It's not simply what he does. There are times in my life I'm not too loving. Well, I have to be careful that I draw on the love of Jesus Christ because in and of myself, I don't have a lot of love to give. In this old flesh, I want, I want, I want to get justice all the time. 
But even as Jesus hung on that cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I too have to come to a place where I can trust him with my hurts. And say, Jesus, I know I'm hurt. And I know people may not have treated me the way they should. They've said some bad things about me maybe. But I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to depend on you. I'm going to forgive them because you said so. And I'm going to love even though I'm not loved. Because that's who you are. That's who I ought to be. And you live in me. And I want people to see you in me. Love should pulsate through our whole being. Because he lives in us. If we know Christ is our Savior and Lord. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. Turn to chapter 13. Would you please? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. It won't be long. We're almost done here, but we'll bring this to a close. But notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all, have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Wow. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, and is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bearing, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. That's love. That's Christ-like love. We are to love as he loved us. Well, I tell you, I don't know about you, but that statement that he made is powerful. When he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. If we'd measure ourselves by that right there, where would you fall on the scale of a hun- one to a hundred? Nothing being at zero, being something being at the top. Where would I fall? Where to love like he loves. See, in John 13, 34 and 35, the Bible says, And no, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, so that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. See, passion kept the Savior going. Even though there was a cross looming in his future, even though he knew that the nails would be in his hands and feet, although he knew he'd be mocked, maligned, and mistreated, the fact is is that passion, the love of God, kept him going. Jesus could face every obstacle, endure every heartache, and even face death because he lived a life of passion, of love. See, that love drove him, and his great passion moved him to suffer on our behalf. It motivated him to demonstrate compassion to all men, whether they be friend or foe. 
is defined who he is. When the California gold fever broke out, a man went there. He left his wife in New England with his boy. As soon as he got on and was successful, he had intended and planned on sending for them. Well, it was a long time before he succeeded, but he did, and he finally raised up enough money where he could send for his wife and child. Boy, the wife's heart leaped for joy. She was so ecstatic, so happy. Finally, we'll be reunited. Finally, we'll be back together again. And she took her boy to New York. They got on board a Pacific steamer, and they sailed away to San Francisco. They hadn't been to sea very long before they heard a shrilling cry. Fire! Fire! Throughout the whole ship, they could hear that cry, and rapidly it gained on them. Boy, the fire began to overwhelm the ship, and there was a powder magazine on board. It had a lot of gunpowder. And the captain knew the moment the fire reached that gunpowder, every man, every woman, and every child would die. They got out the lifeboats, and they started loading the lifeboats, and people were frantic. I mean, they were going crazy, and they began to load them up and jump into those lifeboats. The problem was there wasn't enough lifeboats for everyone. This woman and her child were still standing there hoping to get a place on one of those lifeboats, but they filled up so quickly that the two of them stood there on that deck of that ship hoping and praying they could get on, but no more room. And they cried out, hey, let us on. Let us get on with you. And they said, we can't. There's no more room. We can't. There's no way. We put more people on. We'll all die. We'll all perish. That woman with her child stood there, and she started to beg those people. Oh, please, if you can't take both of us, at least take one of us. Please, have compassion, have some mercy. Let one of us at least go. You know it wasn't her that she ultimately placed in that lifeboat, don't you? It was her child. And there they said, fine, we'll take one of you. That'll be good, but that's all. And she stood on deck and she embraced her child for the last time. And she said, I love you. I love you. And I, I don't want you to die. Tell your daddy, I gave my life for you. That's love, isn't it? Can I tell you that's kind of love that Jesus had for you all those years ago when he left the glories of heaven to come to this old sinful world he said I'm leaving why because I love them I don't want them to perish and as he took his journey on earth knowing that the cross loomed in his future he made every step and he followed his course because he knew ultimately he had to hang on Calvary why did he die why did he give us life? I'll tell you why. Because he loves us. How could we reject that love? How could we say no to Jesus who gave it all for us? Someone says, how do you know that you're on your way to heaven one day? 
if we got it right with him, we can say, because he gave his life for mine. He took my place so that I could live. He paid for my sin. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that we all have a price to pay for the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but the Bible defines that over in the book of Revelation chapter 20 verse 14 when it says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The truth is you die not only physically, but you die spiritually being separated forever from the God of heaven, from the Lord Jesus Christ forever in a place called the lake of fire. See, death is really just a separation but the second death is separation for eternity from the Lord Jesus Christ in a place called the lake of fire. But he didn't want you to pay for your sin. He wanted to pay it on your behalf. He lived a life of passion. He lived a life of love. And his love is directed to you today. Your life may not be everything you want it to be. Maybe you've not ended up where you think you should be. Maybe things aren't the way they ought to be even. But the one thing you can know is this. No matter what, he loves you. And he wants better for you than what you have. But you only get better by trusting and receiving him. Oh, this life is still going to have its ups and downs. But you'll have an eternity as well to look forward to, not just this life. If this is all we've got, let me tell you, there ain't much hope anymore. But thank God we got more because of him. He became poor so that we could become rich. This morning he cries out. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Will you trust Jesus today? The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you call on him and say, I know I'm that sinner you died for. I know I don't deserve your love, but I'm so glad you do love me. I'm so thankful. You say you'll save me if I believe. Well, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you are indeed God in flesh. I believe you did die for me on Calvary. I believe that I can only get to heaven through you and no one and nothing else. You just need to call on him then if you believe all that and say, Jesus, please forgive me. Oh, forgive me. I deserve hell, but I'm so thankful that you You'll wash my sin away, that you'll cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I hate my sin. I hate what I am. I need you in my life. If you'll hear your prayer, it comes from the heart, not from the lips either. You recognize yourself as the sinner that you are according to the word of God, and you recognize it as the only hope and salvation that you have, just like that. He'll forgive your sins, save your soul, write your name in the Lamb's book of life and give you eternal life. He'll indwell you, live inside you, and he'll walk with you through this life until you close your eyes in death or he sounds the trumpet and returns for you. And then you'll spend an eternity with him. Sounds like a good deal to me. What about you? If you've never trusted Christ today, I pray and trust you will this morning. If you've never invited him into your life and received him as your Savior, if you've never realized that only he can forgive you, and today you know, you know what, it's not religion. It's not even going to church or reading my Bible. It's all about him. 
He'll forgive me. He'll save me if I call on him. I want him in my life. I need him in my life. He'll forgive and save you. Won't you come today in just a moment as the music plays? And as a believer, will you show some passion, some love this time of year? Love your enemies even. Did I just say that? I really didn't. I was plagiarizing. I was just saying what he said. Let's work at loving if you're a believer already. Let's love the way Jesus loved us. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had together. And we just ask, Lord, you'd meet our needs today. Thank you for your people. And thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to, to become part of your family if indeed we haven't trusted and received you yet. Thank you for loving us enough to come to earth, to become poor so that we could be rich, to ultimately live a life with a cross looming in your future just because you loved us and you want us to be with you for eternity and you want us to be a part of your family. Will you bless us? Help us, Lord. We need you. There might be those that are in the crowd today that don't know for sure heaven's their home, Lord. I pray that they would realize they can settle that today. And Lord, for others that are Christians, may they realize, Lord, it's time that we need to love like you love us. And if we aren't, then we need to start. If we are, then we need to continue. Help us. We need you can't do that in your own strength. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder if if you die today, could you say, I know for sure heaven's my home. I got that one settled. I know for a fact there was a time or place when I received and accepted Jesus into my life. I can point back to that day and I remember feeling the weight of sin on my shoulders and I remember crying out for mercy and begging the Lord to save me and to forgive me and he did. If you can't say that, I wonder Would you be willing to trust him today? Would you be willing to accept him today? Preacher, that's me. I can't honestly say that. I don't know for sure. If I died, I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me at least? Hey, I won't come down there. I won't come get you. I won't won't send anybody else over to you. Nobody's going to come get you. It's just between me and you, but I do want to pray for you. I'm going to pray that the Lord gives you the courage even to come forward when the music begins. Can I pray for you? I don't know for sure. If I died, I'd go to heaven. Please pray for me, preacher. Anybody like that? Preacher, please pray for me. I don't have that settled. I don't know that for sure today. Anybody? Can I help you with that? Can I pray for you? Father, bless. Work and move now in the lives of folks. Give us hands, Lord, that may have been slow to move. I pray, Lord, that you give them courage to make their way forward. That you'd help us all to know you before we leave today. Not just know you as in that you came as a baby to earth, but know you as our Lord and Savior in our life. May it be with Christians today as well. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed.